All right, well, good morning, church. All right, well, hope you brought your Bibles with you. We're going to be finishing up chapter 1 of the Gospel of John. If it all goes well, we will see. This last part of the chapter is about... Yes, 35 to 51. Now, this last part of the chapter is about invitation. And you say, the, the invitation to what? Right? The invitation to follow Jesus. Remember the whole purpose of the Gospel of John. If we, if we fast forward to John chapter 20, the whole purpose of the Gospel of John is, says that these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Christ is a, a messianic term. It means anointed. That Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And also, if you look at like 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, 1 John says that I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That's also a theme that runs through John's writings. That you may know and believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Right? And John's talking about experiential knowledge. He says, you can know this. You can believe this. This is why I'm writing these things to you so that it will help firm up your foundation and your relationship in Christ and that you can know this and that you can believe this. So what have we talked about? What have we learned already as we've been going through chapter 1 of John, just in this, in this first chapter, right? We've had declarations concerning Jesus. There's, there's something in the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John, there's something over like over 30 declarations concerning Jesus, who Jesus is, etc. Right? It says, before the beginning began, the Word existed. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Everything and anything that exists was created through the Word. That's about Jesus. Right? It says the Word brought life and the life uh, was the light, the true light. That's about Jesus. Right? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen His glory, and through Him we have received grace upon grace, it talks about. What's it talking about? Who's it talking about? It's talking about Jesus. Right? All of this we get through Jesus, through the Word, through the light. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God. Right? It says in John 1.12, It says, to all who did receive him and believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You get that through your relationship with Jesus. That's what the beginning of the chapter has been talking about. This last part of the chapter is then inviting you in to look into all that. It's an invitation. So we're going to read John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. And finish up the chapter. It says, The next day again, John, that would be John the Baptist, was standing with his two disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, this is an important question, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, Where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. 
And he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than this. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this word. And I pray, Lord, that you just continue to, to teach this to us. I pray your words be spoken. And I thank you for the message that's here today, Lord, the message that, that you invite us in to a relationship with you. And you, when we come in, Lord, we find out that you know way more about us than we know about you. We thank you for this. We thank you for your great love. We pray, Lord, that your words be spoken. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's see how this breaks down. You have these two disciples, it says in verse 35. John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples, two of his students. One, we find out, is Andrew. The other is not named. However, put your little Sherlock hats on. It doesn't take a lot of work to figure this out, okay? What did I tell you when we started teaching through the Gospel of John? I said, John never refers to himself by name, okay? Now, John also writes with extremely accurate details. For example, just in this first chapter, we get the hours of the day. In verse 39, it says that they went and stayed with Jesus, right? For it was about, they stayed with him for that day, for it was about the 10th hour. That sort of gives you the impression that's an eyewitness account. I mean, he's getting pretty specific with his details. It's this day, it's the next day, it's the 10th hour, it's this time. Right? He's getting specific. So he writes with these accurate details, but yet for some strange reason, he doesn't give the name of the other disciple, even though you would assume with the details that he has, he knows the name of the other disciple, right? But why wouldn't he give it? Well, because he doesn't ever refer to himself by name. Therefore, it doesn't take too much effort to assume that the other disciple that was there with Andrew, who was a disciple of John the Baptist, was John himself, so the two disciples that were there that were students of John the Baptist are Andrew and John, okay? And Jesus comes walking by. And once again, just like John did the day before, John sees Jesus and he says, behold the Lamb of God. 
John's whole purpose is to bear witness about who Jesus is. Jesus comes walking by. John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God. And both Andrew and John at that moment just follow Jesus. They just, whatever they were doing with John the Baptist, they put it down if they were doing anything, right? And they just follow Jesus. It says here that John looked at Jesus. And when it talks about that, and when, in the Greek, what that means is, is that means he was discerning clearly. He was beholding Jesus. And like I said, his whole purpose was to then point Jesus out to other people, right? So he discerned, he knows who Jesus is. He is behold, right? He beholded Jesus. And he says, listen, there's the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. So now Andrew and John both behold Jesus. And what do they do? They follow him. See, they were listening. Andrew and John were listening to John the Baptist. They were observing when he said, behold, there's the Lamb of God. They were looking and seeing what he was doing. They were standing with John. They now looked and behold Jesus. They listened to John declare that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the Messiah. So they made the decision right then. It was a very smart decision for them. What did they do? They followed Jesus, right? Immediately. In the Greek, the idea for followed means to get on the path that the other person is walking. It's not referencing a literal path. It doesn't mean if Jesus was on that gravel road and you're on this gravel road that you then jump on that gravel road. That's not what it's actually referring to. What it means is, is very simply to get on the road. In other words, let's use another phrase that you might sound more familiar to you. It means let's hit the highway. Okay, that's what it means. Like let's start the journey. So both Andrew and John at that point started the journey with Jesus. Now Jesus saw them. He was aware. He realizes that he has a couple groupies now. And he's like, hey. He turns around. He looks right at him. And he's, he's like, what are you seeking? What do you guys want? Right? It wasn't a rude question. He's not saying, hey, back off, creeps. All right? I'm not signing autographs right now. I don't want you to take selfies of me. Right? Don't try to get any of that. He's not doing that. It's, but it's a very important question. It, it, and here's the thing. If, if Jesus hasn't asked you this question yet in your relationship with Jesus, assuming that you're following Jesus, he will. But he probably already has. You've probably already had to answer this question to Jesus. Because this is what Jesus asks of you. He says, why are you following me? What's the purpose? What are you looking to get out of this? What do you expect from me? Who do you think I am? If Jesus hasn't asked you that question, he will. He asked this to his disciples, right? I mean, who do people say I am? And they replied, oh... Some say you're John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah, some say you're the prophet. But it was Peter, remember it was Peter who said, you're the Messiah, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. Jesus said, why are you following me? What do you want to get out of this? What are you expecting? Who do you think I am? That's what he's asking, all wrapped up in a single question. What are you seeking? What is it that you want? 
Are you actually wanting to know more about me? Are you looking to deepen your relationship with me? Are you just following me because of the fish and loaves? Right? Are you, are you just looking for the external things? Do you just think it's cool because you heard I he- healed people? Why are you following me? What are you searching for? Listen, when it comes to starting churches, because you, you will run into people who think that the part of the purpose of Jesus' ministry was to start a church. Okay? For example, the Catholic Church. Jesus came to start the Catholic Church. No, he didn't. Right? No, he didn't. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. But if you were to follow Jesus' ministry and, and look in there for clues for church growth tactics, if you wanted to you know, start a church following Jesus' example, Jesus had negative church growth tactics. Right? <laughs> Jesus was not about that. If you were to follow Jesus' example about starting a church, you're never going to get anybody to come. Right? Because, because you can't build a mega church on the way that Jesus approached his disciples or the way that Jesus talked to those who were following him or the way that Jesus told people, hey, this is what it means to be a disciple. This is what it means to follow me. So why are you following me? What are you looking to get out of this? Right? Thousands and thousands of people turned away from following Jesus. Why? Because he stuck to the truth of the word and he stuck to the truth of the word because he was the truth and the word. Right? And he could never not be. And he wouldn't change a jot or a tittle to appease anybody that was following him. Today you would get the complete opposite response. Right? If you were, if you, were you know, drawing crowds to you and growing in large numbers and people started to leave in the thousands, you would follow them. You'd be like, why are you leaving? Where are you going? What did we do wrong? What can we change? Did we say something that offended you? Right? What was it? Oh, we didn't mean that. We don't, no, no, you, you took that out of context. Let me issue an apology video. We don't want you to leave. Please stay. We'll give you a gift card to Costco. <laughs> right? They'll do whatever it takes to keep people there. But Jesus wasn't about that at all. He didn't, he didn't chase people down when they left. He left them leave. Because you would ask him somewhere along the line in their relationship with Jesus, while people were following Jesus, they came across this line. Whether Jesus asked them this directly or just through his teachings, you would get to this thing, this point, this part of your relationship where basically you had to answer that question What are you seeking? Why are you following me? This, Jesus would lay it out This is what it means to follow me. Are you ready for this? And they'd be like, You know what? I need to go back and take care of some family matters. I'll come back as soon as I get that taken care of. All right? Jesus wanted those who were following him to ascertain if their motivation was just something of idle curiosity or because, right, they ate the fish and loaves, or they saw the miracles, or perhaps more importantly, what he really wanted to know was, do you have an actual desire to know more about me? Right? Because people found the teachings and the words of Jesus hard to follow. They found them hard to accept. Right? This is a hard saying, his disciples would say. Who can accept it? I mean, we'll get more into that when we get to John, John chapter 6. It was difficult for some. Absolutely. 
but they still had to wrestle with that one question, the same question that he's asking Andrew and John as they just started following him. He said, what are you seeking? What are you looking to get out of this? They don't really have a good answer for him, right? You look at their reply. All they say is, uh, where are you staying? Right? And Jesus says, very important, come and see. Come and see. You got a camp around here somewhere? Come and see. And so they went and they saw. Right? That was the invitation. Come and you will see. And so they accepted the invitation. And it tells us that they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. Here's something to understand. The 10th hour is is 4 p.m. And this was about the time, the common time, what they would refer to as afternoon oblation. An oblation would be the time that they uh, spent in fellowship with God or an offering to God. So it was a time that they usually would spend, the, the Jews would usually spend by themselves in a little quiet time or prayer time or worship time with the Lord. Jesus was probably heading off to spend time in worship, in communion, in fellowship with the Father. And, there's, and there, Andrew and John are like, uh, where are you going? And he's like, come and see. And they went and saw. Now we have no idea what they talked about. We have no idea what they experienced. We have no idea what happened. It doesn't tell us. We don't know. We don't know any of that, but we know what happened after they left. Right? We know what happened after they left Jesus. We know that John even though it's not explicitly mentioned here or really referenced too much in the other Gospels, we know that John went and found and talked to his brother James. How do we know that? Because later when Jesus comes walking again and James and John are out on the fishing boat with their dad, uh, Zebedee, and Jesus says, follow me, that they leave everything behind right then and there, give it to their father and follow Jesus. If James didn't know who Jesus was at that time, would he have just left and followed him? He had already had to have been told who Jesus was and come to that experience. That means Jesus had already met him, probably. We know that Andrew, as it tells us here, went and found his brother, Simon Peter. Right? That's what's mentioned here in, in John chapter 1. And Andrew tells him, listen, we found the Messiah. Right? We've found the Messiah. The Messiah is a Hebrew word. The Greek word is Christos, which is what we have for Christ. It means anointed, right? We found the Messiah. It was the same as saying son of God, just so you know. When they say son of God, when they say Messiah, when they say Christ, it has the same meaning to them, right? I mean, John the Baptist called Jesus the Son of God. Nathaniel will call Jesus the Son of God. So, so when Andrew goes to Simon Peter, he says, we found the Son of God. We found the Messiah. We found him. You're not going to believe who it is. Right? You're not going to believe we found him. It's one of the divine titles of Jesus found here in chapter 1. There's seven divine titles of Jesus found here in chapter 1. That's another one, the Messiah. Peter, however, isn't so sure. And we'll get into why we know that Peter isn't so sure yet. He hasn't quite come to the saving knowledge of who Christ Jesus is yet. Now, Peter goes with him. Peter goes with Andrew. And when he comes to Jesus, 
Jesus sees him and he says, you are Simon, the son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, right? So Cephas is uh, Aramaic, Peter is Greek. They both mean the same thing, which means they mean rock. So Simon comes to Jesus and Jesus says, you're going to be known as the rock, right? Way, way before Dwayne Johnson, right? He's going to be, you're going to be known as the rock, But why do I say that Peter wasn't so sure about who Jesus was? Because if you look at their other, other interactions before they get, before Jesus tells them to follow me, and he does, Peter's out on the fishing boat, and Jesus is teaching the people on the shore. And there's so many people there, Jesus needs to go back so he can teach them all. So he gets on Peter's boat. He steps on Peter's boat and he says, push away from the shore. And Peter pushes away from the shore so that Jesus can teach all the people, that large crowd, right? And when he was done speaking, it tells us in Luke chapter 5, when he was done speaking, he says to Simon, he says, put out in the deep and let your nets for a catch. And Simon tells him, he says, master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets was breaking, right? They caught so many fish that other fishermen had to come over and help get, grab the nets of fish and bring them in before the boat capsized, right? It was an incredible miracle. It was an incredible moment. But what happened after that? That's when Peter looks at Jesus and says, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. That was when Peter accepted Jesus for who he was. It wasn't this point right here. This is when Peter first met Jesus. So between the time that Peter first meets Jesus and Peter, when Jesus calls Peter again, God had been working on his heart. And by the time Jesus does that miracle with the fish, Peter's like, you are the son of God. Right? Peter had been introduced to Jesus, but it was later that his heart changed. Now it tells us in verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. Now, and he found Philip there. And Philip was from the Bethsaida, which was the same city that Andrew and Peter were from. And when he finds Philip, he says, follow me. Again, the odds are that he had already met Philip. Philip had already had a come and see moment with Jesus, but now he gets this formal invitation to follow Jesus. And Philip wisely does. Absolutely. He follows Jesus. We know that Philip truly believes that Jesus is the Messiah. And how do we know that he truly believes it? Because he seeks out and finds Nathanael. Right? He seeks out and he finds Nathanael and he shares the good news with Nathanael. Now, Nathanael doesn't have the same reaction right away. Probably a little bit like Peter in the sense that he didn't just accept what he heard. Right? He was a little bit prejudiced. He was probably cynical. Everyone has their different ideas on what Nathaniel was doing or Nathaniel's mindset or, or things like that. But, but here's the thing. Being a Nazarene as Jesus was means that you would be looked down on and you would be rejected. Jesus was looked down on and he was rejected. This was the mindsets of Jews towards those who were born in Nazareth or who were Nazarenes. This is how Nathaniel looked at Jesus. So when he comes to Nathaniel and he says, hey, we found him of whom Moses and the law and all the prophets wrote. It's Jesus of Nazareth. This is why Nathaniel says, what? Can anything good come from Nazareth? That dirty little small hodunk town way over there? 
And Philip, very smartly, doesn't try to argue with him about this matter. He doesn't try to convince him that, yes, something good can come from Nazareth later. Let me explain it to you. He just says, what? He says, come and see. Come and see for yourself. Right? He's like, the Messiah from Nazareth? Have you been drinking, Philip? I wouldn't say he doubts Philip, but he has no reason to take Philip at his word. Right? But Philip, hey, I'm not going to try and convince you. I'm not going to try to beat you in an argument or a game of wits or anything. Just come and see. Just come and see. Right? The same words that Jesus said to John and Andrew and possibly John said to James and Andrew said to Simon Peter, come and see. Just come and see. And Nathaniel came. Probably begrudgingly, but he came. And what happened? Nathaniel learned right away that Jesus knew more about him than he knew about Jesus. That's a truth you, if you haven't come to, you need to know, right? The Lord knows you. The Lord knows you. I mean, how long did it take you to figure that out in your relationship with the Lord? In, in your relationship, how long did it take you to figure it out that the Lord knows more about you than you know about him? It was probably pretty quick, right? I mean, you probably came to that realization really fast. It's still true. No matter how much you know about Jesus or how much you've grown in your relationship, right, in all your years of incessant study, God still knows more about you than you know about him. You can have the Bible memorized from front to back and back to front, and God still knows more about you than you know about him. He always will. Right? He knows everything about you, every little tiny thing. And as Nathaniel's walking towards Jesus, Jesus sees him coming and Jesus says of him, it doesn't say he says it to him, but he says of him, he says, behold, an Israelite indeed who, in whom there is no deceit or there is no guile, depending on your translation. And what that means is he's saying, behold, here's an Israelite who is not manipulative. Here's an Israelite who doesn't do trickery. Here's an Israelite who's not lying. Here's an Israelite who doesn't, he's not saying that, that Nathaniel is without sin. He's just saying, here's an Israelite in whom, listen to this, in whom there is no Jacob. Because all the things that he uses to describe what that means in the he- when you look at the Greek and the Hebrew of deceit and guile, it's a reference really to Jacob. And Jesus is saying, behold, an Israelite indeed, right? In whom that there is no Jacob. Now, Nathaniel doesn't argue that point. He doesn't say, what are you talking about? I, de- I deceive people all the time. Yeah. No. Of course, he's not going to admit that, right? He says, uh, how do you know me? Right? How do you know me? And Jesus tells him this. And this is, this is you, you, have to, you have to get yourself in Nathaniel's shoes to kind of understand what Jesus is telling Nathaniel. But what Jesus says is this. He says, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. 
What's this? This is the omniscience of Christ. Right? Dwelling, reclining, meditate, meditating under a fig tree or on a mountaintop or whatever was a Jew's favorite form of devotion. So if Nathaniel was under a fig tree, the odds are pretty good that it was a place where he went to spend time with the Lord. A place where he went to have a little quiet time. It was probably, more than likely, though we don't know for sure, his own personal private fig tree. Like if he had a little garden out around his house, or he had a little fig tree he planted somewhere in a little away place that no one knew about. This is where he went and he spent his quiet times with the Lord. So this was his own personal place that no one else probably knew about, that no one else probably came to. But Jesus tells him, Nathaniel, before Philip even came to you, before he even called you to come and see, before he even told you that, when you were under your fig tree, when you were having devotions with the Lord, I saw you. You know, Micah 4.4 4 says that they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree and no one shall make them afraid for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. There's other verses in the Old Testament that reference the Jews sitting under their fig trees and inviting people to sit under their fig trees with them. This was a common place for them. So Jesus is telling Nathaniel, he says, when you were in that moment of private devotion, when you were tucked away under your favorite tree, when you were going over God's word, meditating on it, right? when you're on your couch early in the morning, when you're in the backyard patio with your cup of coffee or your cup of tea right before the kids wake up, he's saying, when you're in that moment, Nathaniel, before Philip came and said, come and see, I saw you. I saw you. Now, it probably wasn't just the fact that he says he saw him in a place where no one else was. But there's probably more to it than that. But that was all Nathaniel needed to hear. He says that to Nathaniel, and Nathaniel doesn't even hesitate. He says immediately, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. King of Israel, now their messianic term for Jesus. Because that's what they assumed the Messiah was going to do. Come over, he was going to come down and he was going to you know, get on the throne and kick out the Romans and establish uh, Israel as the proper nation that it was supposed to be. Right? He says, you're the, you're the king of Israel. You're the Messiah. And Jesus' Jesus' reply, I love Jesus' reply, he says, that's all it takes. Seriously? Mm-hmm. Right? Just because I said that, I don't have to twist your arm or anything. You're awesome, Nathaniel. <laughs> right? But let me tell you this. You're going to see greater things than that. Right? You're going to see greater things than that. Right? You know, John 10, 27 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. How do you know if you're one of his sheep? When you hear his voice, and you know it's him. Nathaniel heard the voice and he knew it was him. And he followed him. He didn't have to do any trickery. He didn't have to do any arm twisting, nothing. He just knew immediately, this is the son of God, this is the Messiah, and he followed him. Jesus says, but you think that's great. You're going to see greater things. Matter of fact, I want you to understand, you should anticipate this, there will be greater things. Right? 
He prepared Nathaniel to see God's work. You thought that was great, Nathaniel? Wait till you see some of the other things that are going to happen. Right? And this is what he tells him. And this is why I think that there's more to it. Right? We'll get into this right here in just a second. He says to him in verse 51, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Son of Man is Jesus' favorite phrase for himself. Right? It's a messianic term. It's the last divine title of Christ in the chapter. It's used 83 times in the Gospels. It speaks to the divine and the humanity, to his divinity and his humanity, right? But what is Jesus referencing when he says, you're going to see the heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man? What is he referencing? He's referencing Jacob's ladder, Genesis 28. He'd already come up and he'd already said something that, had, that could give you the impression that he's saying, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no Jacob. Why would he make a reference like that to Nathaniel? Well, what was Nathaniel reading possibly? Well, then at the end he says, he quotes from basically Genesis 28, which is Jacob's ladder. He says, you're going to see greater things. And then he tells, you're going to see the Son of Man ascending and descending. Maybe Nathaniel, when he was under the fig tree, was meditating on the glories of the coming kingdom. Maybe he was meditating on what it will be like when the Messiah comes. Maybe he was reading Genesis chapter 28. Maybe he was thinking, God, I wish you would reveal yourself to me like you revealed yourself to Jacob. Right? And guess what? God did. God did, right? A personal quiet time for Nathaniel led him to the greatest revelation of all, which is Jesus Christ. And Jesus let him know that when he got there. I saw you in your quiet time. I heard what you asked, and I am here. I'm right in front of you. Matter of fact, what he could be saying is, listen, Nathaniel, Jacob's ladder, forget the ladders. I am the ladder. Do you understand, Nathaniel? Right? God has come in the flesh, and I'm standing before you. And that's all Nathaniel needed to hear. This man knows more about me than I know of him. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. God has come. The Word right, has been become flesh and dwelt among us. He's standing right here in front of me. I will follow you. Chapter one unfolds in a very interesting way. When we go from the beginning to the end of chapter one, I said it's a foundational chapter for the rest of the book of John. And then by itself, you, in reality, you, re, you really need no, no more chapters. I mean, if this is all we had of John, this would be enough to declare who Jesus is and give you and testify to the truth of who Jesus is. But it's, but it's a very foundational chapter for the rest of the book. And so when you look at John chapter 1 and how it unfolds, you see this picture. And I want you to see it. It starts with declarations concerning Jesus, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? Uh, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. These are declarations concerning Jesus. 
And these declarations were witnessed to by John the Baptist. And John the Baptist testifies to the truth of God's word. He says, I have seen and borne witness that this Jesus, right, is the son of God, the Messiah. So Jesus, so John points to Jesus, the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sin of the world. So after you have the declarations of who Jesus and the divine statements and the personal testimony of John the Baptist concerning Jesus, which is what we went over for the first three weeks, then you get to the end of the chapter, which is an invitation. You have the declarations, you have the divine statements, you have the personal testimony of John the witness whose whole who was sent from God to do one thing, which was to point people to Jesus. And then you have the invitation at the end to come and see. Right? To come and see. Come and see Jesus personally. Not just in in your own relationship. Like for those who don't know Jesus, maybe we're reading through the Gospel of John. It's a great, you you want someone who doesn't really know Jesus and wants to start reading the Bible, read start reading through John. It's not the shortest book. You could lead them through a shortest book, you know, a shorter book if you wanted to to get their feet wet. But start reading them through the book of John because the first chapter is laid out. Let me declare to you who Jesus is. Let me let John the Baptist here give a personal testimony about who Jesus is. Read all these statements about what it's saying about who Jesus is. And then at the end, come and see for yourself who Jesus is. Come and see how Jesus is revealed through his word. That's how it's ending because it's the end of the first chapter, but it's taking you into the rest of the book. And it says, come and see how Jesus is going to be revealed throughout the rest of the book. You think this is something? Wait till you see some of these other things. Come and see personally, but come and see, right? Follow me as we go through this is how a relationship with Jesus starts. Right, it starts by simply examining the words of God and or the testimonies concerning Jesus, which is what the, the disciples did. And then accepting the invite to come and see. When you come and see Jesus, when you start examining his word, you're looking and listening and you're taking in the information, right? Remember back to when you first became a Christian and people were talking to you about Jesus. You were taking in the information. Maybe you were examining it. You were, you were like, well, what's that mean? What's that all about? Let me look into that, right? You're listening to what they're saying. You're taking in all, uh, and then you're earnestly seeking an answer. I want to know more about this. I, I have a question I need an answer to. You're earnestly seeking the truth. When you earnestly seek an answer and you earnestly seek the truth, when you are coming to see and start examining and looking into and listening and taking into information concerning God's word and who Jesus is, that's when your life changes. That's when your life will be changed. That's when your hope will be recognized. The hope that, you know, you're looking for. When your joy becomes a reality, this is what you guys can testify to when you're talking to others about Christ Jesus. Right, from that life changing experience in Christ. And then you want to turn around and share that joy and that hope with others. It compels you to do so. It compelled them to do so. As soon as John and Andrew followed Jesus and he said, come and see, and they spent that time with him when we don't know what was said or what happened or anything. All we know is, is that the next day, basically, they were out telling other people, come and see. We found the Messiah. Come and see. Right? Andrew went and found Simon. John went and found James. 
Jesus found Philip and Philip went and found Nathanael. As soon as they spent time with Jesus, they had to go find someone else and say, come and see. It compels you to do so. You're now going to, what we do now is we communicate the truth of God's word. It's our personal testimony. Our personal testimony is as valuable in the life of other people as the testimony that pointed you towards Jesus was in your life. Because there was probably someone who gave a testimony that you listened to that, you know, that helped point you to Jesus. Wow, that's an amazing testimony. I, mean, I want to know more about this Jesus guy. Right? And I'm just going to tell you this. It's not your job to convince people about who Jesus is. God's word does that. The Holy Spirit does that. He's good at doing that with himself. He did it with Peter. He did it with Nathaniel. They didn't try to convince those, you know, hey, we found the Messiah. It's Jesus from Nazareth. Nazareth? (laughs) Nothing good comes from Nazareth. Right? Philip could have spent hours arguing with Nathaniel over that point. No, 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 it's true. Let me, let me, you know, let's sit down and talk about this. All he, no, all he said was come and see. He just said, come and see. Jesus can do that himself and he can do it with anybody. You just need to invite them to come and see, right? It starts with the invitation. Come and see. When you depend on the word of God, you will not be put to shame. Right? So invite others to examine and consider Jesus. You got nothing to be afraid of. Nothing. Right? Give them a Bible. Have them read it. Read it with them. Do a study with them and let the Spirit of God go to town. Right? That's all you need to do. If they're actually open, if their ears and their eyes are open to examine and look into the Word of God and they truly are seeking after Jesus or wanting to know more about Jesus, then Jesus will reveal himself to them. And after you tell them, come and see. If they earnestly have a true desire to know more about Jesus, then they will follow. And then they will grow, right? Growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Growing up into salvation, as it says. We know it's a lifelong process. It doesn't end. Not everyone forsakes everything and follows immediately. Other, some people take longer. Some people forsake a little bit at a time. They're following and forsaking and following and forsaking, right? And it just takes forever. They can't, they can't do it all at once. It's different with everybody. Everyone's experience is different. Everyone's experience with Jesus is different. But we should just take heart and have hope in this, in our own walk and for others. Right? As it says in Philippians 1.6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to finish what he started. Amen?